All right, Spock. I just got one question. What's your favorite color? I fail to see the relevance. Oh, yeah! softest thing you've ever made and fit in all the right places with lots and lots of star sapphires star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly with diamonds or emeralds too hello old sport you are listening to i saw it in a movie an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at movie john i am the old sport and classic coroner rosalie kicks and this is my film pal the red herring Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. Hey, Ryan, what's happening? Missed you last week. Yeah, um, I was away uh, doing movie business. Um, My wife and I had gone up to the uh, Mahoning Drive-In Theater uh, in Lehighton, Pennsylvania for their Schlocko-Rama weekend. Um, and so over the course of the two nights out of three that we went, uh, we were able to stay awake for a total of four films, um, on the big screen and, uh, the Mahoning is always a fun time. Um, I'll talk about one of the movies later in the episode, but we also saw, uh, the beast from 20,000 fathoms, which I actually really, really enjoyed, uh, because it is the movie that inspired, uh, Ishiro Honda to make Godzilla. So it's like an American monster movie where there's a nuclear blast. They're doing testing in the Arctic. They uncover a, you know, dinosaur type monster that then um, attacks New York. And so it's kind of interesting that that sort of then became the idea that that uh, was the genesis for Godzilla. Um, We also saw Q the winged serpent, which is a very strange movie. Um, that I enjoyed for being strange because there's like three different plots that all like sort of intersect with the title wing serpent. Wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, we also saw uh, house on haunted Hill, which was very fun. Um, I always enjoy Vincent price and this had a lot of screaming and it was the right balance between having actual, horror type thrills in it as well as being uh, a little on the campy side at the same time if that makes sense well here's the surprising thing i have not seen that movie i um yeah i only just recently am starting to get into vincent price films and he is actually the person i'm uncovering on the next episode of my other podcast cinematic crypt but I did not watch that movie. I watched The Bat from 1959. And I really liked it. And I want to watch more Vincent Price films. He's so much fun. Yeah, I've seen a couple uh, with him in it. Uh, the other one, because I know you've seen House of Wax. Yes. Um, and then Have you watched there, that yet? House uh, of Wax? I have not watched that yet. I will, but I have not watched that yet. Okay. Um, what the other one that I've seen that I really... Oh, I really actually enjoyed him in His Kind of Woman. Oh, I haven't seen uh, that one either. But I was looking at his filmography uh, as I was preparing for Cinematic Crypt. And I realized, like, he has been in so many movies and TV. He has, like, 200 film credits. 
Yeah, and I feel like he's a person that works equally well in both, um, like, more campy movies and more serious movies. Like, I feel like he is always, you know, he always shows up and is giving it his all. Like, in that yes, um, that film I just mentioned, uh, it's a Jane Russell film. Like, she's in it, and then he's kind of mostly in the last hour, but he is an actor. He's playing an actor, and he is like just running around with a cape and a sword and quoting Shakespeare and like uh, he's having a blast. It like brings awesome. a whole nother energy to the movie. So, and then I just saw that there's a, um, the Raven from 1963 is on the TCM app right now. Oh, okay. I should check that one out. Cause that's another one I haven't seen yet. And that's a Roger Corman movie with Vincent Price and Peter Lorre, and Boris Karloff. Whoa. I gotta watch that. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen any of noirs that Vincent was in, but I highly recommend checking out Laura if you haven't seen that, and then Leave Her to Heaven. He's in that as well. They actually are coincidentally both star Gene Tierney as well, Hmm. Uh, but highly recommend. So... Yeah, Vincent Price. He's great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, outside of the stuff for the crypt, what have you been watching, Rosalie? Yeah, so my flick pick for this week is the 1972 Poseidon Adventure. Have you seen that? Mm, I have seen that. Well, I really like that movie. So I had recently started watching it on TCM. And of course, I think I started playing it at like quarter to midnight so it was kind of late when I started watching it and it's like almost a two hour long film and unfortunately I didn't realize but it was expiring so when I went to go back to it the next day like I couldn't pull it up because it was gone so yeah so I decided heck I'll just buy it you know because I really was enjoying it And I made it like halfway through. So I wanted to see the end. And I am so glad that we bought it because we got a Blu-ray copy and it was like under $10 and it's so worth it. Uh, But for those that haven't seen it, essentially it's one of the first like disaster adventure pictures. It was made, Mm -hmm. like I said, in 1972. And it tells the fictional tale about this cruise ship cruise ship that is struck by this humongous wave excuse me a humongous wave and it capsizes uh now why i liked this movie so much uh one the practical effects are so cool like what did you think of them ryan uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I saw it a couple times as a kid, and I, I've seen it at least once in the last, you know, ten or fifteen years. And the, I think the effects are legitimately amazing. But I also love the cast is really fun because you have oh, yeah. Gene Hackman, you have Ernest Borgnine, you have Riley McDowell, Shelley Winters, uh, Leslie Nielsen. Like, there's, it's, it's to me, it's a good cast. Like some of the other '70s disaster movies. You, they're like they're like writing the roles for the people and it's more about like oh who's going to show up for like a couple of scenes but i feel like this is actually a really good ensemble cast yeah and 
they all what I really like too is I feel the script was w- well written because to your point they all kind of have a decent role in the film so even though there are a lot of name actors you don't really have anybody that gets left behind or forgotten and mm-hmm. Each of them play, I feel, an important part into the story that they're going through. Because essentially, this group of people, they work together. They're trying to get out of this ship. And yeah, just to go back to the effects for a second, I I just love how a lot of it looked rather realistic. And it was a lot of just use of models and, again, practical effects because Back in 1972, they didn't have the use of CGI. Now, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the remake, but to be honest, I don't really have much of an interest. Uh, Just from looking at some set photos on IMDb, it, it looks like it's pretty cheesy, whereas... This original one, I I think, you know, it really takes a serious tone. And there are definitely consequences for choices that the characters make, which is pretty cool. Uh, And I, I guess that's the other thing that I really liked about it, too, is that normally when I watch these types of disaster adventure flicks, I'm not really tied that much into the story. But in this case, I really was. Yeah, I always appreciate ones that put that where there is a story beyond just like this this crisis is happening, and these are how these various groups of people are are dealing with it. There is kind of a through line to uh, the Poseidon adventure. I also really just I even really like the title because you know it's not like the Poseidon sinks or whatever. It's like the Poseidon adventure. Like they're already telling you like from moment one, this is going to be an adventure, and. I feel like not a lot of the other disaster flicks from the era that I've seen have a sense of adventure to them. Yeah, I agree. And again, for it was it costs 9.99, like it's so worth picking it up. I haven't looked if there were any like special features on our disc yet, but I was going to take a look later on and see but Still, for 10 bucks, and you get to watch this. Oh, one thing I did want to mention it's so interesting, too, how it was shot because it makes it feel like you're on a boat. Because, like, the camera is like rocking, which mm. is really interesting. And when I was watching it with Ben, I was thinking, like, wow, I wonder what this would have been like to like actually see in the theater. And that would be a movie I would love to see Mahoning Drive and play. That would be great. Yeah, um, that that would that would that would be great, and I'm sure that they could do. A, there's a lot of different ways you could do a double bill with that movie. Oh sure, because looking it up, like I said, in the 70s there were a lot of these like disaster flicks made, so you could totally pair it up with some other ones. Like I watched The Towering Inferno. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen that. I have but- not that comes to mind as like, oh yeah, you could bill it with that. Or even, hey, like other disaster ship movies. Right. Um, You know, or a pirate movie you could throw in there. Like there's a a lot of different, um, you know, or a a more modern disaster movie. 
Um, there's a lot of different places you could go with that, but that's that's very cool. I, I'll have to pick up that Blu-ray, especially because it is a, uh, I believe it's a Fox movie. It is, yeah. And I I have really been trying to seek out a lot of Shelley Winters movies. I'm glad that you mentioned that she was in it because just before we get to the question, I just wanted to say she's awesome in the movie and was definitely one of my favorite parts. But yeah, you totally should pick this up. Yeah, she's she's an actress I also want to see more of because I feel like whenever I've looked at her filmography, which like Letterbox lists 137 credits, yeah, um, she is someone who seems to have done a lot of interesting work in like every single genre. Definitely, she has done kind of those again going back to like the campy horror type stuff two more serious roles like when mm-hmm. she was in Lolita like oh and then um Night of the Hunter like she's done it all and she's another one that I would say always shows up like you were saying about Vincent like always gives it her all yeah yeah definitely um yeah she's in Red River and Winchester 73 which are both westerns I really like from Howard Hawks and Anthony Mann so she's in the original Alfie which has been on my list to watch for a while so yeah I'll have to keep it keep an eye out for for more Shelley rad uh so yeah are you ready to get to the question this week absolutely let's get to it here we go dear I saw it in a movie With everything happening in the world right now, I could use a fresh start. Somewhere far away, really far away, among the stars. Help me find a new home in space. Your pal, Rocket Man. So here's the thing. I like the idea of space, but it completely freaks me out. (laughs) I completely agree. I, you know, it... It's funny because I was um, thinking about being even on a submarine and how much that would freak me out because you're under the water. I wouldn't like that either. Uh, And so, yes, space. uh, I've had a lifelong fascination with space and, you know, the U.S. space program and science fiction and everything. But it's, you know, if someone came to me and was like, oh, we're able to put you on a rocket like, you know, six months from now. Mm -hmm. I would still have to really think about it. (laughs) Yeah. Space is really scary to me. Like, I wouldn't say that I've been fascinated with it. I've been intrigued. But I understand how this listener feels, though. Like, Mm -hmm. Earth right now is bad. In particular, living in the United States is an absolute dumpster fire. And mm-hmm. I don't blame Rocket Man for wanting to blast off, but I have to admit, I had a tough time with this question because I find most space flicks end or encounter a disaster. Like, when people go to another planet, it doesn't tend to be a positive experience, I find. Yeah, I and that's, I mean, that's part of why I liked this question is because it was trying to look for that positive experience because I think you're right. So many of my favorite space movies, uh, like Alien or mm-hmm. even like The Martian, you know, they're often about, you know, especially like one person trying to overcome some kind of disaster or crazy situation or um, 
you know, in Ad Astra, it's Brad Pitt trying to reconcile with his dad uh, in space. So, you know, things tend to go wrong in in a space movie. And, you know, I feel like the um, the margin of error is very high because, you know, any small thing can quickly become a big thing when, you know, you can spin out and not be able to get back. Just Just the idea of, like, being outside of a ship in space and like losing your grip and then just tumbling into the vast empty nothing that's out there is right. an idea that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And I've mentioned this movie, I believe before on a previous episode, but the movie interstellar that caused mm-hmm. so much nightmare fuel for me. Like I didn't hate the movie, but I also didn't love it by any means. But the idea of wormholes and like time moving more swiftly in other parts of the galaxy is terrifying to me. And then the idea of like just falling out of the ship, how you were just, you know, describing and literally floating around in an endless galaxy alone, probably cold and hungry and basically you're just going to starve to death like mm-hmm. no <laughs> or you'll run out of oxygen you might run out of air before you uh, right. starve to but death either way <laughs> no thank you and like this may be going a bit too far but then the other thing i always think about with space is like the idea of going to the bathroom and i'm like no no so like there's just so many things but i think you bring up a good point when you're saying like the littlest thing that could happen would be a huge disaster in space mm-hmm. and you don't it's not like somebody can just like run up and help you you right. just have to I mean, figure it are, out right and like even trying to get help like you know the expression is like oh it's not rocket science because rocket science is really hard right so i guess you know i want to help this listener with their mission but I had to rack my brain a lot about, like, what space flicks have I enjoyed? And, you know, honestly, what I came up with was probably the most recent rendition of the Star Trek flicks. And this was the series that was rebooted in 2009. And so far, there's been three of them. And I think they're all really great. Like, I have had some film pals of mine that are, like, they feel like the series gets worse as it goes on. And I don't know, like I've been here for it. Like I love them. I think they're fun. They're entertaining. And I don't know, like, what do you feel about the new Star Treks? So I will say that uh, I am a, like not a huge Star Trek fan, but I, I definitely enjoy it. I've seen, I think I've seen actually all of the TV series Wait, at this point. Are you a Trekkie? I mean, I don't know if I consider myself a Trekkie because I'm definitely in the shallow end of the Star Trek pool. Like, I the, I enjoy the parts of it I enjoy. There are episodes okay. of it that I'm not going to go back and watch again. But there are some that I really love that I will. And there's some characters that I really enjoy. But I've not been to a, a Star Trek convention. Um, you know, I, I, I think for me, like, I have friends and family that are bigger into Star Trek than I am. So I always feel like I'm, like, a more casual Star Trek fan compared to them. Um, and I think that helps me like this series even more because um, I think 
one of the things I like about Star Trek in general is that original group of characters. So your, you know, your Kirk, your Spock, your McCoy, your Scotty, like that's the group of characters that I think is the most fun. And so, you know, I think the, like the Poseidon adventure, the cast of this, these Star Trek movies is it's like biggest, um, it's, it's biggest success because I think the cast is great together and they all, they all get their own things to do and they all feel like the characters that, you know, I know from previous versions, but they are still kind of doing their own performance. Like they're not doing an imitation of the previous actors. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. There's definitely nobody that's just kind of left to stand in the background. They all play a part in, in the movie that has significance it's not just like oh here's this person and then you never see them again or something it's yeah, like no oh, they're gonna to come do... back right and i think that's hard to do when you're introducing everybody and trying to give them a story in a single movie as opposed to you know in a, a tv show that has like 20 episodes a season right um but yeah i love the first and third movies in this trilogy so far um and sometimes I feel like Star Trek Beyond, the third one, is maybe the the best of the three because it is truly the most purely fun, but also has some cool ideas and some substance to it as well. The second one, I like parts of it and I dislike parts of it, and it would take a whole nother podcast to get into the <laughs> nitty gritty of the things that, to, to pick it apart. And uh, that's not the best use of, of, of helping. That's not going to help Rocket Man, I don't think. Well... As I you know, was saying, I, I am not a Trekkie like by any means. I would love to be, but I don't have that kind of time. Like I've seen a handful of the old episodes, and I've enjoyed them. And again, mm-hmm. it's really just a time factor for me to like dig into that. But for these, you know, new movies, I was going to go through just a few things that I like about them and why. I think they're a great way to kind of escape this hellfire that we're dealing with now. But like they are the type of movies that I can put on like when I feel like I've had a bad week and my brain is just like mush. Uh, It's it's again a great way for me to escape and I don't have to really think about stuff. I can just like sit back and have some snacks and watch a movie um, yeah, and I totally agree with you on that point, especially because I feel like the movies sometimes that are the best for that are the ones like these that are um, the, where the pacing is really fast. Like these movies right. move really fast from scene to scene. And there's so like when you're engaging with the movie and you're having your snacks, your brain doesn't have the time to like wander because already the next thing is happening. Exactly. And that's kind of the crazy part about it. I'm usually not somebody promoting like long run run times, but like some of them are like either at two hours or a little over two hours and you barely notice it Mm because it just keeps moving. But again, they're really fun to watch. Like sometimes the jokes are a bit corny, but they still, still manage to like get me to chuckle. Like even though I've seen the movie a few times, But another thing that I really like you were mentioning earlier is the cast. The cast is great. I think they did an amazing job with picking 
actors to, you know, fill the shoes of the previous. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pine, hello, he's great. I <laughs> love Zachary Quinto as Spock. Uh, Carl Urban as Bones is fantastic. And oh, Simon Pegg, I don't, I almost forgot him, but like him as Scotty is awesome. And mm-hmm. I, I still get sad seeing Anton Yelchin. He was so wonderful. And what a loss, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, like, I think the first Star Trek movie was where the first time I noticed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it it is kind of bittersweet just thinking about um, that loss. And I know that, you know, the cast also became pretty close. So, you know, there was a lot of, like, they did a lot of, uh, like, tributes and things when he uh, had suddenly passed away. Yeah, and then I didn't even mention, you know, John Cho is in it and Zoe Zeldana. And mm-hmm. again, like you were saying, there's so many people in this, but they all they all get their, you know, their moment, so to speak, in the stories. Mm-hmm. It's really great. And I love that you don't have to be a huge fan of Star Trek to watch these movies to understand what's going on which is also key, you know, to me, because I, again, haven't really dug into the, you know, older shows and older movies, but these give you just enough backstory to string you along. I I did see these in the theater with um, friends of mine that are Star Trek fans, and, like, clearly they were getting some of the inside jokes and things that I missed, but at the same point, it didn't take away from the story for me. It was more like a bonus for them that mm-hmm. they understood those little, you know, jokes and, and things from the older stories. But again, it didn't make me feel lost, which, again, is, I think, a great thing about, you know, what they did with writing these. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's how it should work, especially for a reboot, is that it should be accessible to new fans. And the, you know, the things for older fans should really be Easter eggs, like little things here and there that, you know, the movie doesn't stop to acknowledge. They're just kind of peppered in as you go along. Um, You know, and I think that makes it, I think that makes it feel more enjoyable for everybody because, you know, there's probably things in that movie that are references that you don't even recognize those references because they're just part of this movie. They don't, you know what I mean? Like right. it, it's mm-hmm. organic in a way. Yeah. And, oh, I mentioned Chris Pines in it, right? Yes. He's the <laughs> best Chris. <laughs> yes. And actually I was joking there because the only reason I wanted to bring it up again is because whenever like I'm watching a Chris Pine movie, then Ben makes fun of me because he says that I'm pining for pine. Um, well but who wouldn't be he is he's so charismatic yeah Yeah. and i don't know he's also worked with a lot of female directors which is Mm -hmm. really cool and he was doing that before it was cool and so i don't know i just always have had a soft spot for him and will watch whatever he's in like even if it's bad yeah and i've never seen him give a bad performance Um, and I think he has that thing that is kind of rare for, um, male leading men, like where, like he has that kind of Harrison Ford thing where he, you, he can be funny and handsome and like, 
he can play off that he's handsome. He can like take a punch and make it charming as well as he can give a punch, throw a punch. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, you know, even the effects in these movies, which I normally like don't care about or even like attempt to talk about, I really do like the effects in the Star Trek, Star Trek films. And I also really, this is silly, but I like the sound that Enterprise makes. Yeah, I mean, so the sound design is is really, is I think, really good throughout all three of these movies. And I think, to, to your point, the effects, what I like about the um, production design of the movie is that there's it's a it's very bright it's a bright future there's a lot of light there's a lot oh, of color yes that's a great and, point yeah and i think that makes it more fun and just stand out because i feel like there's so many movies especially blockbusters of in the last 10 years that look very gray and very muted from a color point of view yeah and i guess that's something too i was thinking about some sci-fi movies why i sometimes don't care for them is because they can tend to look kind of drab and i like watching like if i'm gonna watch i guess a color film i want to see like vibrant color and like Mm -hmm. lush and you're right in star trek it's very bright and yeah, I think it is symbolizing a better future, which lastly, the thing I really like about Star Trek is the diversity. And I love how it shows like all like a bunch of different people from different backgrounds coming together and, and working as one and they're out like seeking adventure and, you know, trying to explore the unknown and I just love seeing that. And it's interesting because when you go back and look at the old TV show, like that's what it was all about, like showing us coming together. And Mm -hmm. it's sad that we're not there yet. Um, And I don't know. I, I think this, these movies are a good reminder, like, look, we can all work together and it doesn't matter that we're not all the same. That's okay because we all bring something different to the table. And yeah, I just, I like that messaging that it's trying to say. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that too because um, I, the third the third movie, Star Trek Beyond, came out in 2016 um, and like in the summertime and everything. And I think that was my big takeaway from it was feeling that sense of hope for a better future, you know, and like that message of uh, peace and diversity and unity. And it was just refreshing in in the lead up to that election. Um, And I think I actually watched that film again, like in November, because I was like, I need, I need something to keep me looking forward. Yeah. And I felt the same, like after watching it, I felt like filled with hope. And yeah, like, again, I'm surprised that I'm talking like that about a Hollywood blockbuster film, but I don't know. I just think they're made very well. So that was my suggestion for Rocket Man. You know, if you're looking to go to space, then go to space with Star Trek. Yeah, and I I think those are fantastic choices. Uh, I'm going to take us back a little bit and take us a little bit darker um, because the other film that I saw at the Mahoning Drive-In last weekend 
uh, was Forbidden Planet, uh, which is the 1956 film uh, directed by Fred uh, Wilcox. And it is about a, it, it's interesting because it, it, you know, comes 10 years before the first Star Trek, but there's definitely a lot of influence on Star Trek in the sense that, you know, it starts with a commander played by Leslie Nielsen um, and his like lieutenants. And they are traveling to a planet where there was a previous expedition and they lost all contact. And so they show up and they get this radio message from Dr. Morbius, uh, who's played by Walter Pigeon in like an amazing performance. Um, and he's like, go away. Don't land here. Like, everything's fine. And they're like, what about everybody else? And he's like, they're all dead, but I'm fine. <laughs> like, Don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, you know, so they, of course, they have to land on the planet and they meet this robot that he's built, um, named Robbie, who is extremely charming. He, he's on the poster. Um, and I feel like he's a very famous kind of early sci-fi, um, yeah. robot design. I feel, I feel like anything from like the fifties sci-fi related has Robbie, like he's yeah. extremely iconic. Um, and it was cool to finally like having been familiar with him as an icon, it was cool to see him as a character. And he is even more of a character um, than I was expecting. Like he feels very much at home with the star Wars robots that he would, you know, be able to have a conversation with them. And I could under, like I could play out in my mind how that conversation (laughs) would go because he has enough personality to do that. Um, And so they get to know, Dr. Morbius, they meet his daughter, uh, Altera Morbius. Um, They meet her animals that are under her spell. I mean, they don't ever explain, I think, why there's jaguars and deer on this strange planet. But, you know, I think the reason that I, I picked this one, even though, like, there is kind of a darkness there and Dr. Morbius has kind of gotten into some alien technology that maybe he shouldn't have, um is every time I leave my house right now, I'm just, a I, there's someone out there, whether it's when I'm driving or whether it's I'm in the supermarket and they're not wearing a mask properly. It just makes me angry to be around people right now because I can't be around the people I want to be around. I can only be around strangers and inevitably some one of them is going to rub me the wrong way. And the idea of being alone on a planet is kind of appealing right now. Well, I I will have to say, so I just watched Forbidden Planet recently, and I think you picked a great one. If, like, I was going to be stranded somewhere on a planet, I would want to be in that setting because Mm -hmm. the production design is so cool. Like, it's filled with this atomic age type furniture and lighting and... Yeah, I agree with you. Like when I saw it, I was like, oh, I'd totally live there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, everything is fine until the other people show up. You know, now that you say it, it's very true. I mean, until they showed up, he was fine. He was with his robot. He had his daughter there. They had jungle cats. Like everything was fine. You know, and the problem is other people, you know, and I think... There's um, there's oh a thing in 
interstellar that sort of echoes this but like when the um uh, i guess we'll, we'll call them astronauts um land on the planet and they meet his daughter immediately they're trying to pick her up this is the first woman that they've seen since they left earth she's the first like they're the first men that she's ever met that aren't her father and one of them is already trying to like trick her and be like oh don't go with that guy because he's just gonna like try to get in your pants but you can trust me like i just want to kiss you and like he has to like explain to her what kissing is which is oh, like that scene no i didn't yeah like that. i didn't like that either like it made me uncomfortable but i but i like the intention of it making me uncomfortable if that makes sense like i think that the the daughter character is very interesting and i want to watch it again to try to like dig into it more but basically that's my big takeaway from the movie is that both of them were fine until these other men showed up and just started ruining things yeah well and here's the thing i guess you know in thinking about that concept of it there is a movie that i love the ghosts and mrs muir which Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've watched that I haven't, but it's high on my list. Well, at one point in the story towards the end of the film, like Mrs. Muir ends up like she's living alone and her daughter comes home and the daughter is sad, like, oh, you've lived alone. And, you know, that haven't you been essentially lonely and sad because there's been no one around And Mrs. Muir is like, you know, sometimes when people are here, you feel even more alone. Like she enjoyed, you know, the solitary of just being with herself and her thoughts. She didn't need other people. And some people I find I'm I feel like I'm one of those. I don't need a ton of people around me to you know, feel better. Sometimes it's like, you know what, I just want to go into my lab and work on projects and I'm going to be happy being by myself. And I think for some people, it's hard to understand that. Yeah. And I, I'm a person that, you know, I like being around small groups of people. And again, like I'm pretty uh, choosy about the people that I want to be around. And so you know, I, I feel that same way. Like, there's a lot of times where I would rather be alone than with, you know, other people that I don't feel like I can be myself around. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I guess, essentially, maybe I'm not the right person to ask, but I don't think there's any problem with like, hey, I want to just transport to a planet by myself. I think that seems completely normal. Yeah, and with the way 2020 has been going on Earth, I again, like, I think Rocketman's got the right move here. <laughs> yeah, so, and honestly, to me, I guess if somebody was like, yeah, well, you can go to space and take all of your movies, Ben and Foxy, I'd be like, see you later. <laughs> yeah. I'm leaving. Because, uh, yeah, like, really... The only things that, as of right now, that I really like about Earth are my small little family here and my collection of films. Yeah, I'm right there with you. (laughs) So (laughs) if I could take those things with, I would be I would be boarding that rocket ship. Um, But yeah, I think 
I think that that kind of wraps up what I wanted to say about Forbidden Planet. Was there anything else you wanted to mention since you also watched it recently? Yeah, I I think it's definitely one of those films totally worth checking out. And again, you know, to your point, the robot is freaking great. And yeah, I it was funny, like even watching it until the robot came on, I'm like, oh, right, that guy, because <laughs> I've right. seen him mm-hmm. in so many places. Like, I don't know, I feel like in like kitschy stores and things, they'll have like the poster for sale. And I would see it and I was like, hmm, I should really watch that. And then I just never got around to it. So yeah, I'm like glad. I feel like if, if you if you like look up 1950s robot, he's going to be like the first page oh, of yeah. results on Google image. And, you know, it, it's a movie that I'd long been like, oh, yeah, I should get around to seeing that and seeing it the Mahoning. I was like, oh, wow, no, this is actually a really good movie. Like, I was actually really impressed by it. Like, I was expecting to like it just from, you know, like like I was saying, the iconography of it, just seeing the effects, the production design and stuff. But, like, there's the story is really well done. Like, all of the pieces really came together in a way I wasn't expecting. And the Mahoning, you know, they show everything on 35-millimeter film. Right. And this was one of the best for a movie that was you know that's uh almost 50 years old this was one of the best prints that i've ever seen up there like the color was bright um there wasn't a lot of you know jumpiness or anything in the in the print yeah that must have been an experience and again i i don't know we you know we've contemplated about going up there but I I do miss it. It cuz it really is when you go to the Mahoning, it is very magical to be there. So that must have just been a cool night. Uh it was a it was a very cool night and even worth uh driving home afterwards. <laughs> yes, which that can always be kind of the downside is cuz you're driving home typically at like 2 in the morning. Yeah, it it helps when you when you get to see Forbidden Planet and House on Haunted Hill back to back, and you're very much like still, just like the enthusiasm carried me all the way home. That's awesome. Yeah. So before we sign off, don't forget you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine. And for this issue, you can step right up and witness the Carnival, Circus, and State Fair. That's right. We are featuring films of the Carnival, Circus, and State Fairs, and you should really check it out. You can subscribe for home delivery at moviejohn.com shop. And please follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking movie advice, send us your questions to movie at gmail.com. Or if you enjoy snail mail, you can send us a postal letter at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145. And Ryan, where can people find you at? Uh, You can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd and Instagram at SilverWhatever, and that's with the B. Uh, I'm very excited for my article to be in the uh, that new issue of Movie John as well. Uh, so you can find me there too. Great. And you can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. 
And also check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find that wherever you catch your pods or for download at moviejohn.com under MJ Pods. So before we go, uh, Ryan, do you have a piece of advice for our listeners today? I do. And this comes from uh, the cook who is one of maybe the most ridiculous character in, in Forbidden Planet. Um, but he says, another one of them new worlds. No beer, no women, no pool parlors, nothing. Nothing to do but throw rocks at tin cans and we got to bring our, our own tin cans. So this is a reminder, if you're going to space, bring your own tin cans. <laughs> well, my my piece of advice comes from Bones. And this is from the first film, which I'm blanking on that title. Uh, the first one's just titled Star Trek. Oh, is that it? There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, I knew the second one's Into Darkness, and the third mm-hmm. one is Beyond. But yeah, there you go. The first one's just called Star Trek. Um, but anyway, Bone says, don't pander to me, kid. One tiny crack in the hall and our blood boils in 13 seconds. Solar flare might crop up, cook us in our seats. And wait till you're sitting with a case of Andorian shingles. See if you're still so relaxed when your eyeballs are bleeding. Space is a disease and danger wrapped in darkness and silence. And <laughs> here's the thing. Sometimes you have to make these sacrifices, though, to experience the awesome. So as much as I share the same feelings as Bones with, like, my fear of going into space, I realize, like, heck, what else am I doing? I might as well try. Right? Yep. Um, Yeah, Bones is, is my favorite Star Trek character. He's freaking great. He's so awesome. And... Carl Urban, like, why is he not in more things? I don't think I've ever, again, he's a person that makes every movie that he's in better. Yes. So thanks for listening and thanks for your question, Rocket Man. And until next time, remember, for every question, there's a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.